Hey, Tom. <laughs> I'm waiting for the intro music. Oh, no, well, the, then we don't get the intro music. No, you, no, it's edited in afterwards. See, but everybody else already heard it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Actually, uh, this is a very cool night. I think this is the youngest uh, group of speakers we've had here before. And it's one of my favorite bands in the county right now, actually. Arrhythmia. What a compliment that is. This oh, is a man true. who's been watching bands play on the stage for over 30 years. That's true. One of his favorite bands in the county. And who's he talking about? I'm talking about the band Arrhythmia. And actually, uh, we have Nico and Devin here from uh, Arrhythmia. We don't have the whole band. And that's something I, you know, I, one of the first things I noticed about this band is they do something that, uh, first off, they play what is very 2014 uh, core metal but they're going with a 70s anthem band front line. They've got three guitars and a bass, so they've got four guitars on that front line and a vocalist, and that is, that's really uh, old-school anthem rock style, which is fascinating because uh, that's what I wanted to discuss is how do you, who, who's arranging this? There's, there's a lot of parts. There's a lot of sound and a lot of people uh, taking part in this. How is it being arranged, and, and how do you make it sound so tight? Welcome to the show, Nico and Devin. Thank you. Hi, great God, to be here. Is, uh, Nico, what do you sound like? Uh, I sound a little bit like this. And Devin, what, yeah, do you, what do you sound like, Devin? Sound a little bit like this. What do you sound like when you're not doing a voice? <laughs> sound a little bit like this. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> okay, well, I want to share something with you guys. The Phoenix Theater has a phone line, and there's a voicemail on it. And there was a voicemail that was left in November of 2013 from the Project 86 show you guys played. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. And it was a woman who, uh, well, I'm just going to play you the voicemail. Here it is. You know, I'm, I'm a target for Satan. He does everything he can to attack me, and that's my fake coiled bracelet. It's solid silver, and if you weigh it, it's probably worth two to $300. And I just had forgotten to take it off because I always wear it, and I was in a hurry to go to that show. It usually doesn't come off when I dance. This is Satan's way of thwarting me from going to see worship music. It's worth about $300. I can't wear cheap things, and I am part royalty, so I wear only gold, silver, platinum, or I get a rash. And God knows that this is going to happen to me because Satan hates me, and he thwarts me, and he's ruined my life, and I despise him, and I can't wait to see him burn in hell. So, I mean, first of all... Is she a fan of yours? I'm quite confused. I'm super stoked that she was thinking of the show as an opportunity to worship. I mean, I mean that has, like, religious connotations, but it also just means she had a good time, you know? So, uh, that's a good point. We'll jump right into it. So, you guys are a metalcore band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of your lyrics have touches of religion or touches of faith and all of that. Correct. Yeah. Would, would you say all of your songs reference faith and religion? Um, No. You do more of the lyrics. Yeah. I write most of the lyrics, and oh, I'd say like a good two are religiously based. That's it. Cool. Uh, About a good of, like out of good the ten. Like Reve- so, Revelations is one of those yep. songs. Correct. Yeah, and that's 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 a given. You're speaking about though end of times and all end of, of that. Times. That's so metal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the other one about? 
40 Days and 40 Nights. Oh, I wanted to ask about that. Well, Re- Revelations is on the 40 Days and 40 Nights EP, right? Correct. Yes. That's very interesting, though, because a lot of core bands, or not a lot, but a lot of bands I've seen that play here are very Christian. Yeah. And yeah. I, I've come in, and they'll do these songs where you can't really hear the lyrics. You know, it's just very like... <laughs> And then in between the songs, they're preaching, and they're talking about how they fell on hard times, but Jesus was there, and he helped them, and he touched them. But you would not identify with that for your band. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. We don't don't try to shove religion down people's throat. We don't try to put anything on anyone. It's just... I mean... Each of us all have, like, our own individual beliefs, some some religious, some not, but overall, we're just pretty strictly secular. We want to help people out. Tom, you wanted to ask them something about the songwriting or or the lyrics. There was something you'd mentioned earlier well, it, to me that struck you. First off, these guys are, um, in my mind, core metal, mm-hmm. and yeah. I think that and that fits with you guys pretty well. There is melodic. You guys are doing the two part vocals, so you've got the core uh, vocals, but then at the same time, you have the melodic coming in on top of that. And I'm watching this process. You've got six young musicians up on the stage. That's a lot of sound, and that's a lot of parts, and that's a lot of work. And I was wondering, what is the process that puts this stuff together? Uh, is, is everybody writing, or is it, is it just a one or two of you? What, uh, who's writing the material first? For the majority, I would say me and Nico write the majority of the music, yeah. if not all the music. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes collaboration easier because you have not too many cooks in the kitchen. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, do you, do you, obviously, you're sitting here tonight. Do you feel you two have a good creative collaboration? Oh, oh for yeah, sure. Definitely. Do you sometimes hate each other during the collaboration? Definitely. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I hear your idea, and it's the worst idea. But we should go with my idea. Exactly. Yeah. That happens <laughs> way more than you would think. <laughs> All the time. You know, core metal, I think, directs the pit more than almost any music we've had here over the years. Yeah. Definitely. Um, it's the hardcore aspect of the music. Yeah, mm. it is. And, and so much of, of the music is, and the show itself is what's happening out on the floor with this. Uh, it, was, it was accidental, I think, in the early punk days and even in the early metal days. I think a lot of the movement down on the floor that was adding so much to the energy might have been more accidental than directed. But when core came along, I see so much more direction coming from the stage, mm-hmm. except for, uh, and I was thinking about that earlier today, Papa Roach was one of the first bands I noticed that was actually directing uh, the pit and the crowd. And that was, gosh, that had to be in the 90s, I think. What, what's I've the greatest pit you've ever seen, Tom Gaffey? Oh, the greatest pit I've ever seen. It probably would have been the Primus pits, I think. Some of those things would... Uh, tell it, tell us all about it. Take oh, us there. Us. Oh, I don't know. You know, it was... Uh, in those days, we had the guts... Well, the place would fill, so it was a lot safer. We had the guts to allow stage diving. And I think when you've got a lot of aerial stuff going on around the band, you've got this great circle pit going, and you've got people flying off the stage, and the energy, you can almost see the smoke rising off the floor. It's, it is, it's an incredible, it's an incredible experience. So, so, you know, you guys, you make hardcore music, and a lot of people, older people probably listen to it, and they're like, what the fuck is exactly. that? Exactly. What the <laughs> fuck time. is that? Yeah. <laughs> is this yep. music, or is it supposed to sound like this? So, with the same thing, those same people don't know what a pit is. How would the three of you describe what a pit is to the outsider? A, a good pit is a one-minded audience, uh, I think would be one of my favorite ways to explain it. Uh, the audience is plugged in. They're feeling what's happening up on the stage, and they're, and they're, they're fully involved in, in what the band is doing, and, and you've got the whole room moving with the band. And you, like this, the core music really lends itself to a pit. 
you you'd mentioned a couple weeks ago that in the early punk shows, top to bottom, there was punching and there was fighting and there was sweat and there was blood. Yeah. But at the end of the night, Punch. you had a bunch of people who had like let off the week steam mm -hmm. and they felt like that was the greatest experience I ever had, you know? Yeah. yeah. Are you guys getting that part yeah. of the yeah. yeah. It's right. kinda like you can you have the chance to let your hatred out, you know? It builds up and then this is the chance to just do whatever you want and you can just Hit your friends, yeah. and you can run and have fun, and then at the end, everyone's friends. <laughs> yeah, and, and no matter what happens, I mean, everyone respects each other. It's it's really nice. How much do you feed off of your audience when you're up there? Oh, oh that's like 99% <laughs> yeah. of like my energy yeah. uh, is the audience. And uh, I know there's a lot of old schoolers, because I, I keep hearing there's a lot of old schoolers that actually hear this stuff. Mm -hmm. that wonder what what the fuck is that? But the fact of the matter is, you have people down in the audience singing along with you, correct? Mm -hmm. Those are words. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely those are words. Absolutely. Who's yeah. writing the words? Us. Us. Yeah, you two guys. And do you see that your audience is singing along with you? Of yeah. course. Absolutely. How do they get that? Mm, listening. I mean, yeah. Yeah, right. Just listening to the music. And that's the point. I think uh, when I first heard it was, of all things, Operation Ivy was the first punk band that I really saw. And the first time I saw them, I liked the music itself, but I couldn't understand the lyrics, weirdly enough. I hadn't heard that style. And it took me three shows. I think MDC was one of the first shows where I finally was getting the rhythm and understanding how the lyrics worked and beginning to hear the, the lyrics. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if there's anybody out there wondering what the hell is going on with Core, give it a listen. Come yeah. down and see and listen a few times through. Yeah, and don't just listen to 30 seconds because to an outsider and to probably plenty of older people, maybe even younger people too. Oh, yeah. They, I've definitely well, seen my fair share kids that like automatically turn off anything I show them. Right when I, you know, turn yeah, it on. Because they hear screaming or something or yelling and they think this isn't good. And it makes them uncomfortable or angry. Your guys' music has another layer to it. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? You have the screaming, but you also have the, the melodies. melodies and harmonies. Yeah, there are the melodies. Like you just said, three shows. Yeah, it takes three shows yeah. for you to get into a new genre. And I learned that listening to um, Angel Dust, uh, Mike Patton's other band. Uh, Faith, no more? Faith No More? Faith No More. Yeah, well, their Angel yeah. Dust albums, it got to be in my top five. And the first time I heard it, we were driving to Sacramento. And the first time I heard it through, I was with Lance, uh, Lance Brown. And I'm here, and I'm like, ah, you know, I'm not getting this. But Lance being a, uh, that being his favorite band, we, we listened to that CD three times through before we got to Sacramento. And by the third time, it was incredible. Mm -hmm. And it is still my favorite, one of my favorite albums. It's, and that's what it takes, a few listens. Tom, have you ever had anybody jump off the top of the speakers onto a pit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That was laughs> so we're sitting in between the speakers right now on the stage. The speakers are probably, what, eight feet tall, six to yeah. eight feet tall? Oh, we've had a couple of them, actually. Um, but the one that stands out the most... And never talked about this. It was uh, it was Mike Patton, but I think he was playing with Mr. Bungle that night. You know, uh, it, I don't know if it happens anymore, but when I was in high school, there was always that one girl <laughs> who was always in a neck brace all the way through school. Mm. And uh, this girl was Dana at that time, and she had been through, in a neck brace for three years. Oh, and she God. came to see Mr. Bungle play that night. And the uh, son of a gun. Yeah, Mike Patton actually jumped off of the uh, that stack over there on the uh, stage left. Jumped off the stage left side and landed right on her. Oh God! <laughs> and that night she had her neck brace off, she right? Had, yes. What she a had, glorious day it was. She, she was just a senior. Her neck brace off. She was a senior in high school. She would just gotten her neck brace off, and there she was, at the show with no neck brace. And son of a gun, if Mike didn't jump right on top of her, she went down like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> and uh, oh my God, <laughs> I kind of see it from the other side of the room. But by the time I get to her, 
uh, there's one friend that's got one leg and one friend that's got one arm, and they're kind of carrying her sideways out, out to the lobby. Jesus, put her down, put her down. <laughs> and uh, so they got her up onto a stool in the lobby, and she sits down on the stool and then falls off the stool. I go, oh, my God, Dana, I'm going to call an ambulance. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, no, this is not good. We got to go. No, no, I'm really good. I'm fine. I'm fine. I want to see the rest of the show. <laughs> so I let her sit there for a few minutes, and before I noticed, she had disappeared back down onto the floor and got through the rest of the show, but she uh, was in a neck brace for the rest of the school year, and God knows how much longer after <laughs> that she had to get back into the neck brace. Yeah, so we've had people jump off. But nowadays, look. Um, uh, you know, we did one, it's happened at one of my shows, and that was the Method Man Red Man show. Do you remember Red Man got up oh, on the yeah. stack and he? I think he fell backwards onto him. Yeah, and he was fine. He was, but they were expecting that. Uh-huh. They, uh, we're not. Uh, we can't encourage uh, insurance companies. Finally, have put the end of that. Uh, we can't allow stage diving. So we will do the best we can to make sure it doesn't happen. Have they spoken to you about that, the insurance companies? Yeah, we had a discussion uh, a few years ago about it. I think it was back in Vermont or somewhere really obscure. Angelo from. Um, Oh, man. Another one of my favorite bands. Jumped off and, and uh, landed on someone, and it, and it did hurt her very much, and she was able to sue for a million, too. Oh. Uh, <laughs> she won the case, and everybody's really afraid of that. And we, we, you know, so we're not encouraging stage diving. Uh, you know, that was Jim that brought that up. The, the house is not encouraging stage diving. Hey, I'm a part of the house, uh, and <laughs> I'm not true. encouraging it. I'm just reminiscing. <laughs> That's true. So yeah. I have, and I have another thing I'd like to reminisce about because uh, I love reminiscing. Uh, what about when the guy – this is totally unrelated to anything we're talking about, but it just involves bodily harm in the Phoenix. What? What about <laughs> – <laughs> what about when the guy uh, temporarily died in the doorway? Oh, Joel. Yeah, well, that's, that's, we, we did have, good heavens, all these things I don't, you know, if there's any wood to knock on. That was a good friend of mine. Joel had, had uh, uh, it was uh, during a uh, No Means No show. And I think it, it might have even been uh, Victim's Family, I think, had uh, just finished their set, and we were on the break, and it was the uh, stage right exit door, and Joel <laughs> was walking through the door, and son of a gun, if he didn't pass out, right halfway in the door and halfway out the door. We had a 1,000 people in those nights. We could have a 1,000 people in this building in those days. And we were sold out. We had a 1,000 people, and we were waiting to get the last band on so we could get this mess over. It was an incredible night, but there was Joel uh, passed out halfway in and halfway out. We called the ambulance. The ambulance comes to grab Joel, and they... Uh, injected something into him to bring him back alive, and it killed him. He redlined. <laughs> and, uh, oh while God, the, show, while the show's going on, right? No, we're waiting. we can't start the show. Oh, got, the show hasn't started. You can't have the music on while the exits are open. It's just way too loud. I would have much been happier if you knew Joel, and he would have been fine with it if we just dragged him out and put him on the sidewalk and started the show. The show must go on. Yeah, well, he's a trooper. He really is. And are you Now, do you feel that way? If something rate, should happen to you, should to the in, show go on? What? If something happens oh, to you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You heard it here. No, it's very true, as a matter of fact. you got you got to do, boy, once you got a crowd in, it was uh, Mr. DeKey, uh years ago had just opened a drive-in uh, in Petaluma, and uh, the night of the opening, uh, my parents were having a dinner, and the Dakinis were over for dinner. A phone call comes from the drive-in, Parkway Drive-In, and it's Mr. Dakini. The fog had come in, and you couldn't see the screen, and this has been with me all my life. He was talking to his manager, he goes, okay, 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 whatever happens, do not give them their money back. <laughs> give them passes, <laughs> you know? But don't give them their money back. 
honest to God, you've already spent the money. You've got your staff. You've got the percentages you're giving to the movie company. You don't give the money back. So at all costs, the show must finish. So, My God, you've got to get the headliner So, on. So Joel, he's passed out. Oh, yeah. So Joel was passed out. Uh, they put something in him that actually kills him. He redlines. And, oh, my God, he's redlined. And now they're working really fast. And they pumped a few more things into him. And he kind of came back to life. And they stuck him in the ambulance and took him down the road. Thank uh-huh. you, Joel. And the show went on. <laughs> now, now, do you remember what year that was? <laughs> wow. Ooh, uh, 91 or 92, maybe? Uh, that very possibly could have been. This, this is a crazy show. No Means No was the headliner. Yeah, they were great if you have uh, uh, Main support was Victim's Family. Victim's I don't know family, if you two know yeah. Victim's Family. Oh, but, but, but you know the opening oh. band, the band that played at 8 o'clock, who was Green Day. It was Green Day. <laughs> Open no up. way. Yeah. If you haven't heard Victim's Family, uh, you should. Uh, especially the guitar players, Ralph Spite. They were a thrash band extraordinaire, mm. but he's playing these really intricate jazz licks in, in the middle of all this. Larry Boothright on, on bass was a solid, solid player, and, and Timmy on, on drums. We intend to have a Victim's Family back here, I think, uh, hopefully for their 30th anniversary. Uh, and I would highly recommend you guys come and see this band because they are incredible. And Ralph is one of the strongest guitar players in California, I, I think. I know you kind of don't like this story, but I just want you to tell it. When you, the last time you paid Green Day to play here, one no. of them kissed you on the lips. It wasn't the last time. Oh. That was Trey. Well, what happened? Oh, what Trey. happened? Yeah. I, had, uh, I think I had every girl in the building jealous about that one, dude. See these lips? Who in their right mind would want to kiss this anyway? But they were putting money together for uh, their EP, a demo. And, and they, they used to play here on a, a yeah, regular playing, basis. Yeah, they were playing quite a bit. And One of them grew up in Willits, right? That One, was Trey. Trey was and, a Willits boy. And the rest of them are Bay Area. Yeah, and in and, uh, and East Bay for... Um, yeah, Michael and, and uh, Billy Joe. Yeah, and so uh, they were just like any other band that plays here. Yourself included. They were still they pretty would, young. They would come through here. They you would know, play. The first time when they came with a the contract, they came for the Dookie tour, and now they had a contract. And the contract said we had to get them uh, beer because that's what every band has that on their contract. But they were only nineteen, <laughs> so I couldn't get them the beer. I mean, guys, I can't do this. <laughs> I mean, they went down and bought it themselves because everybody sold the kids anyway in those days. But that's besides But we don't endorse that. The house does we not don't endorse that. No, as no. a matter of fact, uh, a room full of drunk kids is my biggest nightmare for crying on, which is another thing that I like an awful lot about core. It's a pretty sober crew you guys have come. I would say so. It's would, yeah. Core is a lot of straight edge. Yeah, yeah, l- yeah right. l- let's, let's go back to straight edge in a second. But he yeah, kissed you. What, what happened about All this? Right, well, anyway, they had had a sold-out show, and I ended up paying them. That was a $5 show, so there's not a ton of money even on a sold-out show. But I ended up paying them uh, $1,000, and I think it was the first time they got paid $1,000 for a show. And it was right down there in the uh, curtain area stage left. And I uh, gave, I think, Billy Joe the money. And as I'm coming down the stairs, Trey had found out that I gave them a thousand bucks. It was enough to uh, pay for their uh, their demo. And yeah, he grabbed me and kissed me on the lips. And uh, I was sold. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm not a touchy guy. I don't, I don't let a lot of people. You don't even like a hug. I know, I'm not a hug guy. I don't do. That don't was do probably that. the last time somebody kissed you on the lips. I would prefer it. <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> just the way I am. It's a problem. But you mentioned straight edge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. First of all, define straight edge for the audience, either of you. I would um, say not using any drugs or alcohol. Um, that's pretty 
Yeah. But in my mind, it's a step further because there's people who are abstinent who don't make a big deal of it. Abs- Straight edge is a lifestyle. Yeah. 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 And it's something you advertise. You get tattoos, right? A lot of people do. Um, yeah. You can explain it better than I can. Um, I mean, I, I don't really know too much about it specifically, but I know it's like, um, like a part of the hardcore scene as well. I, I guess like a lot of people in certain hardcore communities like dedicate themselves to it, advertise it. Um, it's not. A, it's not a brand though, right? No one. No one's it's just a way of life. It's a way of life. Yeah, just a way yeah. of life. And and they seem sort of militant about it. Mm. And I don't mean oh. that disrespectfully, but I mean you know it's no. very much the like I I am straight edge, yeah. and I want yeah. you to know that. It was I think what the early two thousands it got started here, and what's what was the most dangerous crowd I could ever have in my building was a drunk straight edge crowd. Those people were <laughs> that nuts. That doesn't make sense. That no, doesn't make sense. Doesn't yeah. make sense. But we had a. <laughs> but it's the truth. Holy cow! I don't know how many people. People who, I mean, you got to be kidding me. Nowadays, the fact of the matter is what has come from it is it, it is okay to come to a show sober. Yeah. Which yeah. is really nice. It's so much easier on the clubs, mm-hmm. especially if it's an all-ages club. It's a real pleasure to do shows. Why do you think it lends itself to the hardcore movement? I honestly have no idea why it does. It seems arbitrary, I, doesn't it? Yeah. I think... You know, I think it's got something to do with anger. And again, if you're if you need to blow out anger, uh, one of the best ways to do it is is a good show, a good yeah, pit. throw down in the pits. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We it's, all like to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, we do. And when the band is directing it appropriately, and we've had some great bands come here and, and just handle their pits so well. Mm. If you were my age and you didn't do this for a living, you'd look at some of these guys and think, "Oh my God, they're going to kick my ass mm-hmm. now, aren't they?" Convicts. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> kind, I mean, they can they're look the like that. They're the nicest people, though. They're the nicest people, and yeah. at the end of those shows, they're patting me on the back and shaking my hand and telling me, "Thank you so much. What a great night this was. Mm-hmm. Do it again." Yeah, I do it again for those guys anytime. Yeah, yeah. Those are the they, people that. We, Absolutely, we make music. Yeah, I think a core show is one of the best places to you know leave your beliefs at the door and just come in with an open mind, and exactly. don't be afraid, uh, because most of the people are really good-hearted people. Mm-hmm. The best part about shows, in my opinion, is that when you come to a show, your community, your family, yeah. everyone loves you, no matter whether they've met you before. Yeah, Whatever, you know? it's yeah, it is. It is a cool thing. It's weirdly enough, it it is. <laughs> they'd hate that, but it does harken back to the hippie days. There is a lot of love yeah, that happens at the core There's shows. There's a lot of love. Yeah, it's a lot of more hate now, though. Wow. You know, I don't know if I'd call it hate. I think it's anger. It is. Well, it's it's angst. <clears throat> it's it's emotion. It's just a. Uh, but you've got, uh, you're working all week. You've got, nowadays, there's more people that are broke and worried about how they're going to pay rent, mm-hmm. worried about how they're going to feed their families, uh, keep their car. have got an hour or two hours where you can absolutely blow off energy. And oh. uh, that's such a great release. It's the best thing. Yeah, it really is. It's a great escape. Every show. It's really sweet if, if, uh, if you're like a 70-year-old lady who's out on a Friday night looking for something really nice to go and do. I think a gentle core show is exactly where you want yeah. to be. Now, do you feel that the, peop- the people who go to the Christian core shows, do you feel that the audience members feel like they're having a religious experience? Uh, no. Do they feel like they're getting closer to Jesus through this event? Some of them do. I think uh, with with a couple of the bands, uh, you know, a lot of them will will uh, witness. Uh, usually, the headliner will take time to witness it uh, during the last set. What does that mean? Uh, somebody's going to speak their heart about their relationship with Christ. I think is mm-hmm. is uh, how that goes. 
and uh, one of the players will will uh, have a monologue that they'll put out to the audience. And usually every band at a Christian show will uh, invite anybody in the audience if they want to, as you see us in the audience or see us around the show, if you want to talk about Christ, come and talk with us about it, and we'll do that. Uh, but at the same time, they've learned not to proselytize, to just let it let it flow. And, and uh, they maybe get one or two people out of a, out of a crowd of three or four hundred. There may be one or two people that come and, and actually will uh, speak with them about it. And yeah. and I think that would be considered a success. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the local band Mirrors. <laughs> yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah they played you know, here yeah. a few times. Yeah, yeah. quite a few. Absolutely. Times. Yeah, Eli, the front man. I mean, yeah. his. Absolutely serious and sincere. Oh yeah, his yeah. his monologue touched my heart. Mm. It was it was amazing. Yeah, I'd love to see those guys every time. Yeah, they're I mean, great because it feel it feels real to you. Yeah, yeah. it is real, and that's yeah. the. Point. But I, what I mean is, somebody can get up here and, and preach. A lot of people are turned off by people who preach. Right. But right. this particular band, Mirrors, the front man, Eli. Yeah. You you really felt it. It felt it felt legitimate. It felt real. You're like, wow. Yeah, he is like he one of the kindest people ever yeah. he's a living example uh-huh. yeah. I mean, he, he follows through in his life daily and, and that does it works really well if you if you can pull that off uh boy that's got to be a lot easier for the next 60 or 70 years holy cow you're not juggling all the information you wish you didn't have mm-hmm. to juggle now tom when you write songs do you incorporate any faith into those ah uh, you know um weirdly enough i try to uh, weird. A lot of my songs are interchangeable, and if you listen to them, you think I'm writing uh, a love song or a character song. But if I can, you might be able to turn them around. It was uh, Strictly Roots. There was a uh, reggae band that played here in the '90s, and these guys were uh, a band of. Uh, it started with I think two instructors from college in New Mexico, and uh, man, and they were white guys with a heavy Jamaican accent hmm. and oh, wow. dreads that were the real deal and they were raising their kids so that their kids would never take their hats off so their dreads would become the real deal. And they spoke in a heavy accent and they had such a weird, strange way about them. I didn't believe it for a minute. And we're got, talking Rastafarianism. They were Rastafarian. And um, really cool. so we had an issue about them smoking pot backstage and I said, geez, uh, I can't let you do this, but this is our sacrament. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, when you guys can uh, tell me where in the Bible it talks about that, then we'll... And they let that pass. Yeah. But uh, Jason, uh, the the father in the uh, in that group, uh, passed away one night. Hmm. He And while they were coming back from a rehearsal in his van. And I went to his funeral. And they lived on a farm in uh, Sonoma. And at his funeral... Uh, his family and the people that were in his extended family were standing up at this thing and speaking long passages from the Old Testament, wow. memorized, memorized, wow. not from the book. These, these are guys, the, these oh, are the same people. These are the same people. And then I go on to find out because I'd never paid attention. There wasn't one song they wrote that was not about Christ. Wow! Holy cow! Yeah. And and you start looking back on these guys, and you realize, oh my God, you were the real deal. Yeah. They were the real deal. They took their kids out of the school uh, to be uh, closer to Christ in their belief system. Their kids were not to uh, undo their dreads, 
the school wanted their the dreads out because mm-hmm. they felt that it was a health issue and that was it we have to take our kids out of school and they taught the kids at home and the kids all became incredible musicians and very beautiful people and i started looking at that weirdly enough uh and the way i wrote songs and and what do i believe and that's really what i believe and so i do actually try and add a little bit uh try and make it so that it at least is in that vein if i can but so, that's, and I'm not even supposed to be mentioning that. Though. Are you not? I, you know, the other thing is, I also take to uh, seriously that I, I prefer not to uh, proselytize and not to tell anybody else how. I, they I don't think anybody's telling anybody anything. I think there are things that society would be better off having open discourse about. Yeah. You know, the minute religion is brought up, people seem to get their people just get, want to shut they get it up away. tight. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. so you guys are younger. How old are you guys? Uh, Seventeen and sixteen. 16. Seventeen and sixteen. So when he when Tom talks about religion, right there, is that of interest to you, or is it a turn off to you? No, it's of interest. Just that, because, yeah, me and him, you could say, are somewhat religious kids. So religion yeah. is a part of your guys' life. Yeah. Big part. Yeah. Different levels, I think. But yeah. it's I mean, it's weird how you can relate when you're when you're writing. I was I was thinking back to uh, there's a song that I wrote that is somewhat bizarre dance and when you listen to it uh it is it can be kind of off-putting but it's all about my relationship with christ when you do your cat cat dance you make me crazy about your legs uh when you uh, sing your bird song i want to run amok right through your cage when you are my mother i want to be your little boy and if you are my maker i want to be your little toy and people are thinking what do you if 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 you are my mother you want to be is what are you talking about (laughs) i just I want it to be a full relationship. And, exactly. and a couple people, when I explained that to them, <laughs> one of my friends didn't even want to play it anymore. But uh, that was years ago. But, I mean, you, really got, you guys are 17 and 16. Do you feel that the people you know now, religion is not that important to them? Or it's, is it split? Or what do you think? Well, to be completely honest, it's slipped away from all my friends. Yeah. Yeah, everyone I know, the only other right on schedule. You guys are sixteen, right and seventeen. Uh-huh. You know, and, and there's so much out there. It's weird how it comes back. You're going to be religious about something one day. Yeah. And but it may even be. It could be your family. It could be your job. It could be drugs. It could be all of your friends. But you're going to be religious about something. Weirdly enough. So you know, maybe what you want to do is check what you're religious about, and then decide is that something you want to spend your life with. So when you when you use religion to sort of inform your songwriting, you do that why? Because you think it's a loaded topic and it's interesting and there's a lot of depth there or because you feel so strongly about it and you want to express your faith or neither or both. I mean, I I don't know if you interpreted it this way, but when I first Probably read not. the lyrics <laughs> that's the best part. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> But I know when I first read the lyrics of Revelations, it was kind of like definitely taken from a conservative stance uh, as like describing exactly how people who are non-believers would be damned to hell. But it it wasn't that we were supporting that statement. It was that we were like discussing our own ideas and presenting (coughs) the idea of that happening. Was it it written more as a question or a statement? Actually, that's a good point. Uh, for all who have sinned, redeem. Those who don't are damned to hell. For yep. all who have sinned, redeem. This is a lyric from that song. Cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you look at the, in that song at least, as a discussion of what's out there as opposed to a this is how it is. Exactly. It, yeah. yeah. It's not, I don't want to force anything, like, I don't want to force my opinions upon anyone to change anyone's way of thinking. Yeah. That's not yeah. really what it's about. And that's not what we're doing here, Tom, so don't, don't oh. feel worried. You're <laughs> well, not I'm, telling anybody yeah. to do anything. No, I'm not. Because I have a very good friend, uh, Cody McCoy. Who is sure we're all going to go to hell anyway? So, <laughs> <laughs> Tom, so any hardcore shows that you've been to or punk shows where a front man who looks very aggro and looks like he's about to like rip someone's head off, because that kind of what it appears to the person in the audience, yeah. have you ever had them actually go aggro and uh, try to rip someone's head off? No, um, not... Oh, well, uh, it wasn't a Christian band. <laughs> no, it doesn't need to. It doesn't need to. Hard, uh, hardcore punk, whatever. Do we whatever. have them coming? We didn't just book them. Uh, you know, in Suicidal Tendencies one time, Mike Muir actually Ooh. jumped out into the audience Ooh. to attack somebody one night. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. that We couldn't. He was faster than my security. Luckily, uh, Big Mike got a finger on this guy's collar and was able to pull him out. This was, And this is the thing about performing, too. Mike had the audience in the palm of his hand. When he stopped the show and he said, who said that? And people were pointing at this guy in the audience. What did the guy say? Do you know? Uh, he was, yes, he's, uh, he was yelling, fuck you, you suck. And uh, Why well, would you buy tickets to see a show and yell Because at the end of the night, this guy had to listen from outside after that. What the hell did you, what did you tell Mike? I told him that he sucked. Well, why'd you do that? Because I wanted to rile him up. I wanted to get him going. What? <laughs> so it wasn't because you thought he sucked. No. And it did rile him up. And if Mike had said, he goes, who did that? People were pointing this guy out. If he had said, kill that man. Yeah. I think that audience would have. <laughs> now, I have contemplated that many times. <laughs> yeah. Don't know, do it. You know how there's hardcore dancers yeah. always? I was yeah. thinking, what if someone gets out of hand and like hits Nico's sister in the head? We could just That's stop happened. the show and it's be happened. like, All right. yeah, right. Everyone Kill that, that guy. man. Everyone go for right that there. guy. <laughs> Except for, oh my gosh. It was one of the most embarrassing moments of my time singing. I, my band was opening up for Green Day. We were playing support at a Green Day show at Andrews Hall in Sonoma. What band? A Chomp Hard. <laughs> and we were singing this song. And, uh, you know, and I'd been playing bars and stuff. And I always liked that scene, kind mm-hmm. of. And a fight had broken out in front of us. And we were playing through it. I thought it was the greatest thing. Oh, my God, we got a brawl going. So we were playing, we were playing, we were playing. And Billy Joe, who was probably 16, comes out and stops us. And, and you're, his, how much older are you than Billy I'm Joe? I'm like in my 30s at this point. <laughs> and uh, he stops us. And he addresses the crowd and says, you know what? We're not here to fight. We're here to have a good time. We're here to love each other. And we're here for the music. So he walked so, out in front of you. Oh, yeah. And put me right <laughs> in my place and reminded me to be an adult. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard that before. Yeah, and it and that was one of those that was one of those moments in, in my uh, performing career where I realized, you know, I really need to check myself and, and decide what is what is right and what is not. And so, you know, and now I find myself in this situation here. And it, it, if you're coming from the perspective of the club, you need it to be that way. In the '90s, we could be a brawl from top to bottom and get through the night. We couldn't have sustained that way, and it just can't. Culture can't sustain that way. Music can't sustain that way. It's got to be a thing where everybody in the audience is together eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've had a couple of fights break out before, I know, uh, with bigger shows specifically. Yeah. I think there's like this whole dichotomy of uh, South Bay, South Bay hardcore dancers yes. or something like that Yeah, versus uh, North Bay moshers yeah. or something. Yeah. North Bay's got a weird it's, reputation. It's weird. Yeah. What is a hardcore yeah. dance? Tell us what that is if you don't know anything. Um, it's basically... A ballet. It's how you express yourself with anger to the music 
People I, call it throwing down. I mean, the, I, I know what hardcore dancing is, but I was interested to hear you describe it. It's like this flail. swing in your arms the and this like very weird, almost not rhythmic way, and it's, it doesn't always match up with the music, I find. I call it when, like, when we hardcore dance, because we do, yeah. as a band, oh, yeah. as a band we, yeah, do. we do. We two-step <laughs> with the music, so yeah, it, you is, do. it is in, in time with it. And you know, yeah. um, you guys can't flail the arms. We can. And we do. Can. We do flail with the music. I gotta watch it. And um, sometimes in deathcore and a lot of hardcore, there's really slow breakdowns, and you cannot yeah. swing to the. So you just or have you to go. Really you swing really fast. Yeah. yeah. And That's it just gets really hectic, and it's just a mess. I'd call it like interpretive karate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, not, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, that's yeah, that one. is a good one. And what's true is a group of, of hardcore dancers that know what they're doing. Very seldom does somebody actually get hit. Oh yeah, no oh, one gets yeah. hit when we hardcore yeah. dance. It is a beautiful thing, and it goes back to American Nightmare. We decided that night that it was going to be a hardcore pit at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when we finally got everybody on the same level, we had probably three or four hundred people on the floor, and at one point the whole floor was flailing. Bang. It was a phenomenon. That's the. It that's totally, awesome. Yeah, it totally blew me away watching all all our faces this direction now and all all arms flailing in the that's right awesome. direction. It was weird. It felt weird, oh, yeah. and I kind of stifled a laugh for a minute. But then you start <laughs> watching it, but you realize this is again. It's it's one mind. It's everybody mm. focused together, and and it's one it's of the really most beautiful intense things. It absolutely is. Speaking of uh, artists beating people up, didn't uh, somebody do something to Glenn Danzig once on the stage? Oh no, Ooh. Glenn Danzig did something to somebody on stage. <laughs> you know, I'm probably going to get sued for this. Look, so that was it. Was Glenn Danzig has this one pose that is all his. He's down on one knee and he's singing into the microphone, oh, "Mama" or whatever. Well, and the pit was going off, and there was uh, people uh, crowd surfing, and this one kid rolls from the crowd surfing right up uh, onto and drops right into Glenn Danzig's lap <laughs> on his knee, and Glenn <laughs> just scoops him up with one hand and starts punching him with the other. <laughs> but his uh, why? His, I don't. Uh, it, why would you do that? It was the moment. At any rate, and it obviously, I don't know if it was the first time because his, uh, they had a guy on stage that was quicker than me. I was standing stage right, and their guy came from across the stage. He was ready for it quicker than me. I didn't think Danzig was going to punch the kid, so I was going to let it just kind of roll off and, and move on. But uh, his guy knew, and he came and grabbed this kid up and pulled him out, and then we all ushered him out and threw him out. He's a great kid, uh, and he's a great Petaluma adult now. He's grown up to be a great adult. And my first fear was, holy cow, now this could get us sued, couldn't it? But at the end of the night, there he is outside going, dude, man, I got my ass kicked by Glenn Danzig. <laughs> well, thank God he had a good attitude. Yeah. But yeah, that's true. I mean, in the heat of the moment, in those days, it was that way. Um, the anger did turn into fist throwing. And in those days, uh, people kind of liked that. Uh, this kid gets punched out by Glenn Danzig, and, and uh, he thought it was great. Thank God. Uh, another kid uh, almost gets beat up by Mike Muir, and he was glad that Mike wanted to do that because he wanted to get Mike's energy level up. And that's the way the culture was in those days. What, what I see now is where in the old days the, the crowd would jump in and everybody would take part. Now oh. they're breaking it up. Usually, really? last few show fights we've had here, it's, it's me trying to figure out who's breaking up and who's fighting. Because uh, yeah, it's, it seems like more people are willing to stop the fight, yeah, as yeah. opposed to join in with people, it. People, because 
if people are fighting, it's most likely that they're not going to be able to experience that again because, right. well, we may have to end the show. And, 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 the show. And, <laughs> and the worst injury, Tom Gaffey, you've ever seen in the pit. Oh, Ooh. Ooh, we, we I've had, seen a good one. The broken a, knee. Yeah, you there. had a broken. That was ugly. <laughs> that was, the bone was sticking out of his knee. Yeah, that was tough. That you was, could see the bone. I think it was, so, that's, so that's gross. His name is Jared Morrow, by the way. Yeah, yeah. you guys, I think he was a friend. He's a friend of ours, yeah. yeah he yeah. goes to the same school as me. Weirdly enough, it was his brother or, brother or cousin. So, no, that was all the time to him. Oh, what? cousin, cousin, yeah. Was longer. Cousin. Oh, uh-huh. my God. Oh, yeah. It that could does? Get... Shout out to him for being the uh, first seriously injured arrhythmia fan. Right, arrhythmia fan. Oh, well, the first of many, we hope. <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully, I guess. <laughs> you know? When I first uh, started doing rock and roll and here and we were looking for an insurance company weirdly enough uh, the guy who was handling our insurance said well we have to put you in the same category as dance floor well dance floor yeah like waltzes because apparently many injuries on waltz floors but yeah what you've got is a lot of people moving mm-hmm. in one area so there's going to be uh there's going to be some injuries and you hope that everybody gets through it uh you know and well. so to that point what's the worst one you've ever seen um, it was, it was another broken leg. It was, uh, Nick 13's, uh, other band. It wasn't, oh, Loose Change. No, it was a Loose Change show. Okay. It was some friends of Nick's. And, uh, yeah, a kid broke his femur and it was a oh. huge break. Oh, oh my God. We had to hold him so still and just keep him. Oh, that was a tough one. That stopped everything. Cause the femur is a bone that if, if it moves the wrong way, it can break a major artery and a guy can bleed to death without even bleeding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was that was the worst. That was very tough. And the uh, uh, EMTs came in, and they were really good with him. We all realized right off the bat, oh, my God. And weirdly enough, it was uh, one of his friends uh, absolutely jumped on him on purpose. We're, <laughs> strangely, it was, oh, a, it was a friend doing it to another friend, and, and nobody had meant it to go like that, but that is how it happened. And a lot of was, guilt and resentment after that, I bet. A lot of guilt and resentment, I bet. <laughs> Equal parts guilt and it resentment. It was a good punk show. The kid took it uh, with a smile on his face. Nice. And he was back down in the pit five minutes later. <laughs> yeah, well, it With the girl in the neck brace. <laughs> yeah, with and the, the girl. And the guy who got was, beat up by Him Dan's and Dana and Yan. Yeah. <laughs> so arrhythmia, uh, or one third of arrhythmia. Mm-hmm. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you guys wanted to touch on? Um, do you want to talk about the new stuff? Oh yeah. Oh yes. We are actually in the process of writing many new songs. Yeah. Now arrhythmia. I've heard that the new stuff uh, brings the heavy. Oh yeah. Would you agree? We uh, would call it darker, and we would call it heavier. Or we'd call it more brutal. What's bringing that about? It's the anger. It is the anger. And it's growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't felt more anger in my life in the past however many years I've been alive than the past three. What are you angry about? Additionally here. Just like, I don't know, woman. (laughs) It's a big part of it. One woman? surprised. One woman. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Actually, let's just say three women just to be safe. One of my favorite writers, Stephen Stills, wrote his best work about Judy Collins. Sweet to Judy Blue Eyes was a song about Judy Collins in his whole album. Uh, everything that he wrote on that uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash album, uh, the first one, uh, all the Stephen Stills stuff was a song about Judy Collins, and they were all great. Songs about you know, breakups. I, I, I appreciate how you appear to be processing that anger, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I appreciate that you're experiencing it, you're methodical about it, and you're channeling it into a creative work. I, I think that's very admirable. Um, I'll be honest. I actually have a lot of anger problems. 
So this is a great way to chant. But what this you're doing, idea. you know, yeah. you talking yeah. about it and you putting it into a creative yeah, work, right. but also talking about it and learning to communicate, uh-huh. that's huge. Yeah. I mean, that that's the difference between someone who can function and get it under control and somebody who gets themselves in a bad situation. This is the same thing as, as the audience is doing the same thing. The audience is coming to do the same thing for that right. hour and a half that they're at the show or two or three hours or whatever it is. They're hoping they get to blow it off that same way. You get to write it and experience it that way and, and, and actually observe it more deeply. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it working? It's working. It's working. Yeah, bravo. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Mm. It's really weird. Uh, parents will tell me when they see, uh, they'll come down and we'll talk about their kid. I go, dude, your your kid is one of the greatest kids. What are you nuts? No, I'm serious. <laughs> you got a great kid. No man, because at home he's like a terror. Well, right. <laughs> but out in public, he's got to be able to maintain a facade so that he can get through the day. So we'll have the new tracks out before the end of the year. Um. Well. Well, I hope so. We're I in, would hope so. Yeah, due to the fact in, that the year began yeah, <laughs> like a month ago, let's <laughs> let's set a goal. We'll have an EP or a full length out before the end of the summer. Yeah, yeah. Good. I think that's a good goal we're setting right here, right and then here. maybe to celebrate the release, you guys can come back on with oh, all yeah, six, and we can talk about it then. Do you guys write, uh, uh, arrange, and then and then uh, get it in the can, record it, or are you going to uh, write it, arrange it, play it, and then get it in the can? Or how are you? How, how's that process we, work for you? We've done it. it. Well, we've done um, it like different yeah. ways. See, I have written a song myself. Won't show it to anyone. I'll go to Jordan, the bass player, with our studio since yeah. we do our self production. And I'll record it with him and then show everyone. And everyone can learn it that way. Or what typically happens is I'll write a song and he'll write a song or we'll do it together. Bring everyone to practice and we just teach it individually to everyone. And the way to do vocals is that after I've finished the lyrics, I'll have to do the rhythmic patterns to the the, um, music. And then I have to record it for Phil with the patterns so that he can understand. Your vocals? Uh Yeah, Yeah, in fact, uh, I actually was the vocalist for Arrhythmia. Originally? uh, Originally, in the... 2012, 40 Days, 40 Nights EP. Those were my vocals. Yeah. In fact, uh, the new song that we played uh, last show, last Friday, Phil, I think, had only had a week to practice those vocals that he had recorded on his phone. Um, and actually, that process ended up working. Recorded on his phone? Yep. <laughs> so uh, Mac Dre mm-hmm. uh, came out with this album in, I think, 89, which he recorded on the phone from jail in Vallejo. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that was that. You know, I think I've heard that. It's a great, it's some of his best work. I I love that you appreciate Mac Dre's library and you, Tom Gaffey, and you've also, you had some like long conversations with him when you would play Yeah, yeah, well, Mac Dre turned me on to uh, hip hop, actually. He was, somebody called me and and, uh, I don't know who it was to this day, I don't know who it was, said that he wanted to, it was Mac Dre's Get Out of Jail show. And, uh, (laughs) <laughs> oh, uh, okay. It was like an 89 or 90, and I said, well, let's do that. And what we ended up with was uh, Mac Dre and Mac Mall, uh, Digital Underground, who brought Tupac Shakur with them that night. So Tupac Shakur has played on this oh, stage yeah, that we're sitting right was, No uh, way. Oh, yeah, 5150 came and stole the show, which is what they do best. They weren't even booked, and those guys came in and just totally muscled onto the stage got about 15 minutes before I marshaled all my staff and we pushed him back out it was the most incredible thing wow it was such yeah we've and we've done hip hop I think once a month since then yeah I've been to a few hip hop shows here yeah yeah and they're incredible it, that you, is also same thing it's another version of what you guys do with core metal it's it's a statement about uh, frustration and anger a lot of it a lot of it's a statement about love and and, uh, oh, yeah. and, and family 
but a lot of it is uh, frustration. But it's it's a real picture of life, mm-hmm. which is what you guys are doing. So Tom Gaffey, uh, gosh, if you had to wrap up a radio show with arrhythmia, what would you do? Oh, well, I'd play the tune. <laughs> You'd play the tune? I'd play the tune because you don't want to play it before we do it because it gets, you know what, we've got this. Uh, some friends of ours wrote this thing, and it is one of the coolest. The guitar work just blows me away. No, but we're playing it at the beginning of the show. <laughs> right, but we're only going to hear it at the end of the show. So, so I'm going to play this song. Okay, this, we're gonna, this will be the one time we do this. That's what, I would wrap <laughs> it up by starting it. All right. Well, arrhythmia. God, gosh darn it. Uh, gosh darn. Sorry, guys. God darn it is fine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all good. <laughs> Whatever you'd like. Nico to say. and Devin. It was a, a treat to talk it to you guys. It was a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. And Tom, uh, thank you as always. Thank I you. had a great time. One of my favorite people, Tom. You yeah. are definitely top ten favorite people. Well, because I'm not sure about me myself. <laughs> I, I don't know. Top I'm three. On it. Top, top. And I and three. I like you know you were Tom. You were, you were number three. But then you suggested we end the show with the song. That and now and right you back. just bumped number two out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay. All right. You? No, what a great suggestion. So anyway, thank you guys. <laughs> thank you. Thank and you. thank you, Tom. Yeah, thank and you very um, much. Yeah. I mean, here you. here we go with the theme. Is this the theme? Okay. Stay, shine, stay, the gym, time. On the stage, shine, stay, the gym, time. On the stage, shine, stay, the gym, time. Time, time.